right. So now what's happening? What's happening now is the Art Fight Club podcast. And this is going to be a special one because finally rejoined with Joe Nolan, who is somewhere in remote Arizona. Joe, can you hear me? All right, hold on a second. I'm going to get you worked in here a little bit better on the sound tip. Hold on. Okay. All right. All right, Joe, can you hear me? I can hear you. Awesome. I can hear you. You can hear me. We are we are back together at last. Back together. Apart together. Apart together. So, <laughs> God, man. So, yeah, it's it's um it's not been the same without you but i'm glad to have you back and and we'll just do this uh remote style until you decide that nashville is worthy again of your presence right that's exactly right <laughs> no um no I've, I've been enjoying the show I, i'm glad you've been able to keep it going while i've been gone and uh just so everybody knows i'm i'm literally i'm literally phoning this in uh this week and uh um uh brian and i have been talking about needing to be able to do do uh, remote interviews with people who are outside of Nashville. So uh, this week we're we're experimenting with doing that with me, uh, just so, so we can uh, get get the technical part of this all down. So that in the future, when we have people from out of town we want to speak with, we'll be ready to do that. Um, and until I get back to Nashville, this is this is my way of being together again with all of our listeners, Brian. All of them. That's right. And you know the thing too is that all of these may not just be at parity in terms of production level, but, um, but it's not really about that. It's just about getting them, getting them done, keeping going, not stopping. And I suppose that that's in line with a lot of the other things that, that we are interested in. It requires the same fortitude, uh, to keep it going. So that's for real. But, um, but yeah, so, um, there's so much going on and, you know, like I, I had an awesome podcast um, with Jeff Coffin last uh, week, and that was great. Yeah, I love that interview. And we didn't talk about anything to do with you know fighting or whatever. You know, I think that that's something that we're just gonna always be wrestling with here. Is it sort of like there's there's gonna be times where we're talking more about uh, sort of almost current events and fights, and then other times um, maybe not even talking about it at all. Hopefully, what happens is that people don't really care, um, or they can choose to just opt out when they're not interested and then come back and uh listen to when 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 there are things that are interesting to them but um but yeah so so very cool um conversation with jeff for sure um and it's definitely one of those things too where it's like man i there's so many things that i want to continue the conversation or to keep talking there's just so much territory to cover um and it seems like an hour and a half or something would be almost too much but it never is so that was what right. that was. And then also I had, um, you know, Brian Greif and all the guys from the, um, Nashville walls project and some of the latest sort of street art projects going on here in Nashville. So that's, you also missed out on that one, uh, Joe, which is a super bummer, but, um, we're just keeping it going. And in the meantime, uh, right. it seems like what you've been gone for what, a few weeks now. Yeah. Since just before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it's like, uh, man, so many things have happened. Uh, we've been in touch obviously, but, um, you know, we can talk about the, we, let's get into like, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, fights. I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, 
we saw we can go into last night's uh card or even prior because uh so much has happened but what's been sticking out to you i mean i I think that what's happening in my like in the widest view if if you don't pay any attention to fighting uh, or care about it what's been really cool lately is that um a lot of upsets uh and a lot of uh changing of the guard is happening which is really cool in terms of just the turnover and the health of the sport and keeping things moving along. But, uh, what are you, what did you, mm-hmm. what did you, what did, what's been on your mind? Uh, yeah, sort of the same thing. I mean, I'm always kind of looking at, you know, like, you know, when you think about like the, that we want to talk about creativity, you know, and we're talking about the arts or when we're talking about fighting itself, I'm always looking for the person that I think of as being like, the most creative, most innovative person. That's the person that I'm always sort of rooting for. And, uh, um, I think, uh, you know, at one point, you know, somebody like, uh, um, Jose Aldo represented like, uh, a, a complete innovator who, you know, changed, uh, changed, uh, fighting at the lighter weights in a way that no one had before him and basically defined, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the featherweight uh, division, you know, uh, and, uh, and ruled it for, with an iron fist and an iron leg. (laughs) And, uh, um, uh, you know, so, I mean, so, you know, he, you know, you, you, you become Jose Aldo because you, uh, are one of those guys. And at the same time, you know, at another time, somebody like Max Holloway comes along. And, uh, when, um, when, uh, uh, when Max was supposed to be fighting, um, uh, what's his name, Frankie Edgar, and then that dropped out. Um, I was one of the people who was really hoping he would fight Cup Swanson at that point um, uh, because we had just seen him defeat Aldo. But uh, but they went ahead and scheduled the Aldo fight again, and I was you know I was less than excited about it, frankly. Uh, but but it was it was really interesting to see those guys actually fight again and to see how different it was, and and honestly, just to see Max just take it in stride and say, sure, you want me to do this again? I'll do it again. And, and did it, I mean, arguably even more convincingly, you know, in, in the first fight, you know, uh, he's sort of, he, you know, although kind of maybe even got the best of him in the first round and then like slowly, but surely Max just sort of overwhelmed him where in this fight, it just felt like he was just like a wizard man. And he was just, just every moment of the fight was, you know, under his control and, and, and honestly fought him completely differently than he did the first time, which is kind of mind blowing that he, you know, was able to, to dominate this, this, this legendary champion, um, you know, in the first fight. And then in the second fight come up with like what amounts to a totally different game plan. And, uh, and, um, and even though Aldo, you know, supposedly had a bad leg in the first fight and couldn't kick as much, then, you know, uh, Max sort of used this, ability to crowd him so that those, you know, so that even though he got hit with a couple of leg kicks, he wasn't, you know, Jose wasn't really able to use him that much. And, and he seemed honestly a bit, uh, kind of, uh, meek in a way, but I don't think it was that he actually was meek or that he doesn't really have the will to fight anymore. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was just confused, man, and overwhelmed. I mean, it was sort of like, uh, we're, we're, we're recording this on Sunday after, uh, Lomachenko and Rigondeaux just fought. And if you, anybody watched that boxing match, uh, uh, Rigando ended up quitting in the middle of the, in the middle of the battle, and it was really just because he was totally overwhelmed. He's made some kind of excuse about a, uh, an injured hand, but it was really obvious that it was he was just overwhelmed, man, and it was like a no moss situation. He's mm. just like, you know, the fight's already over, and he knows it, so he's just going to go ahead and quit now. 
you know, and I feel like, you know, even though, you know, Jose didn't quit, he, he, you know, he, he knew that, that he was being beaten and, and, and was going to lose that fight very early on, I thought. Yeah. I mean, and, and Holloway's just overall confidence and just smooth, like from the get go, just not even remotely showing any signs of nervousness or, um, cause I mean, I would imagine it's gotta be pretty, uh, nerve wracking to face the same opponent twice and you know that they're coming to get you. They've, you know, they've, they've got recent film on you. They've got all the things ready to, to come back and take it back from you. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, like knowing that Aldo didn't really go crazy with leg kicks in the first meeting because he, I guess, couldn't because of an injury or whatever. And then, and this one fully expecting that to happen, which it did a little bit more, but it certainly wasn't really part of the story. It really was what you're saying. It was just like, man, you know, <laughs> it was just a mental, spiritual, physical, uh, exertion yeah. of dominance. Um, and there was never a point where uh, Holloway even looked vaguely threatened. So that was just a, you know, and for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, Holloway is a young guy. I mean, he's 20, what, 25 or 26 or something. Yeah, I think so. I think he's the second. Jose, Jose's, I mean, by, by normal human standards, Jose's only 31, you yeah. know, but it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a weathered 31. Yeah. He's got, my, <laughs> he's got miles for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too. People don't, I mean, it's one thing to be in the fight game, you know, doing like being reasonably competitive for a decade, uh, you know, or something. But it's another thing to be defending a championship for a decade and, and always facing the highest caliber. Um, so, so the miles for him are are certainly different, but you know, I think it's really, I I just think it's really interesting to see how, I just know when I was 25 or whatever Holloway is, I was a moron, you know? So how do these people, how how do they get to this level of discipline and grace and eloquence and humanity and discipline and fortitude focus? Uh, I just don't, Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know how, uh, you know, and that's the interesting thing too, is it's like when you, when you're, you know, these, these, like somebody like Holloway is young enough, just whatever, 20 years younger than, than I am. It's really cool to sort of have things like that to look at as an example, uh, and to be inspired by, and just to see that what they're doing transcends all variations and differences. It's just a remarkable thing to observe. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, uh, uh, and he's not the only one. I mean, we see people, I mean, Conor McGregor's not, not 30 yet, you know what I mean? So it's like a lot of these guys are, are, you know, really amazing. And, um, um, uh, also I'd say, you know, uh, you know, last night was another example last night, in addition to the, the Lomachenko Rigondeaux boxing match, there was also the, uh, UFC event with, um, Cub Swanson and Brian Ortega. And, uh, I've always thought of Cub Swanson as one of those guys who's sort of a free flowing creative fighter who'll do lots of different stuff and, you know, fight to fight. He'll seem like he's, got different skill sets that he brings to bear. And, uh, and he honestly looked pretty darn good last night, but, um, he didn't look that good next to a young guy, uh, a younger guy. Anyway, how old is Brian Ortega? Like 26 or something. I think, I think he's like that same age. Mm. And, um, is that about right? You think, I think he's probably a little bit older than that, but not much. Okay. But a little bit, but you know, but, but definitely a thing where he, he, it was def that was one of the factors of like Cub fighting this guy. It's like, well, you know, he's younger and, and, and also too, I mean, I think the, the stats say that he's only two inches bigger, but he looks significantly taller in the, in the ring. Oh, he's, 20, it he's 26. It really, he's 26. 26. Okay, yeah. So it makes it really challenging because like, 
because Ted wants to get in there and, and uh, you know, box and kickbox. But it's like, well, in order to do that, you've got to get, you've got to get past, you know, this, you got to get in there to do that. But as soon as you get in there, now all of a sudden you're in the spider's web and this guy is going to, this guy's going to start grappling with you. And, and even though, you know, Cubs also a good grappler. I mean, you know, he was, he just seemed outsized in a way. And, and, uh, um, the, the, I guess the first time, he, I don't even know what he did the first time. It was, was it sort of like a Darce choke the first time? And then the second time he put him in a guillotine, like a standing guillotine. Um, uh, that was crazy. That finish was just insane. Um, but, but it was like, he was just able to sort of, um, just to, to, to sort of, uh, you know, to hang hang in there until he could sort of smother Cub, and then once Cub would give him his neck, then it was like, I mean, both times he did it, the fight almost ended. The yeah. second time it did, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it was it yeah. was definitely, a, a, I mean, it felt like when it was all said and done, even though in the moment it didn't feel like this, by the time it was over, it felt like a real dominant performance on his part. You know what I mean? It was really really interesting to see because uh i i honestly i had it i had it figured the other way yeah he had just enough stand up and just enough gumption to sort of hang with him uh and just yeah. wait and wait for that that moment and so that's that's really what you know if really that exemplifies or embodies what is so great about mixed martial arts is you're dealing with uh multiple disciplines and you're going to have your areas of strength and weakness and you've got to corral the situation and manipulate the situation to to serve where your strengths are and yeah and sometimes and the idea of doing that by by going straight into someone else's wheelhouse to do it to create the situation is is really interesting yeah and it's it's you know it's, it's amazing to me too like we talked about these guys being so young but you think about ortega it's like you know basically you know these guys are both thinking you know Hey, you know, I'm, I am, you know, probably, I mean, the, 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 the featherweight division is trying to straighten itself out right now, but, um, but, you know, uh, but, you know, essentially you've got, uh, probably I would assume that Frankie will come back and get his chance to fight Max again, but probably the next one will be the winner of last night's fight, which in this case is Brian Ortega. So you're, you're, you know, a 26 year old guy you know, who is, you know, on a winning streak, but also sort of a guy who is like finishing people in in the third round. And that's remarkable in its own way because, you know, because most, you know, most people who are finishing people are doing it early when they're not tired, you know, and somehow this guy's, you know, dangerous up until the last minute and then take then ending fights, you know, just, you know, just before the fights are actually going to be over anyway and go to a decision. Um, uh, but he's not just like cleaning people out, but he's, I mean, even in that, those examples, I guess you're seeing a guy who's like incredibly patient and has such poise and is just willing to sort of get through and go along and wait for his opportunity. And then most importantly, seize that opportunity, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And make it count. And, uh, and man, boy, oh boy, did he do that last night? I mean, it was really, really, I mean, it's one of those things where even people who can't or won't or don't, you know, appreciate the grappling part of MMA. It's like, when you see that, I mean, you got to appreciate it, man. You can't, how can you see that and not understand that it's like, Oh my God, this is, this is as good as like a, as a knockout punch or this is as good as, you know, a, a big kick or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's that much. It's just as exciting. I mean, you watch this thing evolve and all of a sudden he's just hanging off. He's like kicks off the cage and he's just hanging off of it. It was just like, it was so, it was incredibly exciting, even though 
you know, the fighter that I would have put money on was the guy who was sitting well. I, I called, uh, yeah, I called, I called, I, I called Ortega. Um, I'm, I'm on a roll with some of these, these, uh, upsets, but, but the thing is, is that, um, you know, people want the knockout punch, but to see, I mean, honestly, the, the way that he's setting his finishes up, it's not like he's getting somebody on the ground and working into a position for four minutes to, to then try and finish them. He's again, like just getting into their wheelhouse. Like he knows he's going to be up against the cage with him, or he knows he's going to be standing with him in some proximity at some point. And then he, of all, I don't think I've ever seen anybody uh, latch on uh, like a, a guillotine like that. That is, uh, it's freakish. Uh, his arms are so long and it's just, uh, it was a freakish sort of thing to, to see. So I don't know. I just, uh, oh, and he, and he was also like, he's uh, a couple things there. Like one is he's certainly deferential. He knows that Frank Yeager has like the next, you know, he's got next and he's not trying to push his way into anything. Um, he's being patient. That's the way he should be. And then also to have the wisdom and the foresight to, to do that as well as, I mean, all he's doing is hassling people saying, look, all I want to do is help people. I just want to help kids and I just want to leverage this platform as fast as possible to help as many people as humanly possible. I'm talking fever pitch, uh, pressing Dana, like, you know, instead of going over to the side of the cage uh, and talking to the president of the UFC and, and begging for more money or a fight of the night bonus or whatever, all, yeah. he's, all he's doing is just immediately turnkey, like immediately like, okay, now I'm on a platform. And I want to use it. And here's how I want to use it to the point where he like, you know, Dana was even like, you just, okay, slow down. Like, we'll, we'll talk about this. Just come to my you know, room later, room later or whatever, you know, it was, it was, uh, and so what I think is really interesting is not only is he helping the featherweight division along, which Conor McGregor has been single-handedly, um, uh, clogging up by just not fighting. Um, right. But, uh, but also when you, when you look at like the last few things that have gone on, you've got. You know, Rosnam Yunus beating Joanna uh, Yunjacek. You've got, you know, all these sort of turns that have happened. And I really think that what's most refreshing to me about it is that just the spirit of the the money grab, money fight, um, you know, call out uh, game that is ultimately necessary and part of it. And some of that can certainly be enjoyable. I've been really just refreshed by seeing a lot of these uh, men and women all immediately just recognizing that they're in a place where they can have some greater effect to the greater good and immediately charged and charging themselves uh, to leverage that and to, and to do that. And I just, I, you know, I just, it's so impressive to see the people with this kind of discipline and skill and creativity, but then even another level to not succumb to this, you know, you can see like what's been happening, like all these people that, uh, you know, like Colby Covington and people like that are like, okay, what is the Connor playbook or what is the Chael Sonnen playbook? And I just want to be as, yeah. you know, I just want to be a shit talker and get as much attention, good, bad, ugly, be the heel kind of, uh, you know, uh, de facto pro wrestling kind of, uh, thing, which is great for entertainment and storylines and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I really, I'm really just amazed to see that we've been watching the, the changing of the guard, but not to a detriment of like, oh, wow, we're just slowly devolving into this whole sort of money fight game, we're actually seeing, uh, I think, people more meaningfully embracing where they are and what they can do with it. Yeah, and I think, uh, uh, you know, Rose Namiunas, uh, who just won the championship from Yana, I think that she is a good example of, she's done the same thing, where she's immediately saying, uh, you know, I'm 
I'm going to be a different kind of champion and I'm going to be somebody who is like going to make the world a better place. And I don't even know exactly what she means by that, but, but she seems to be sincere in that, that she wants to represent herself in, in some way that's, you know, positive. And I think uh, Max is a good example of that too, because he's so, uh, he's such a champion for Hawaii. He's such a champion for Hawaiian fighters. And he's such a, he's such a humble guy when it comes to like, you know, even when he beat uh, Jose the first time, or I guess it was the second time, I guess it was just this last fight, you know, um, he was talking to Joe Rogan after the, the, the match, you know, they're, they're there in the octagon and, and Joe Rogan says, you know, at this point, I think that, you know, you might be the greatest, you know, featherweight fighter of all time. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, immediately he's like, no, no, no. Yeah. That guy's the best featherweight fighter of all time. I have a long way to go before I can catch up to this guy. He just beat him twice. And he's still like, no, no, no. I got a long way to go before I catch up to him. And then I think I heard, uh, Ariel Hawani was talking about that, that little talk. And then he mentioned, uh, uh, Ariel Hawani mentioned that he had talked to Max after that fight. And he said, are you the greatest Hawaiian fighter of all time? And, and evidently then Max also immediately was like, what are you crazy? Like yeah. BJ Penn is the greatest right. Hawaiian fighter of all time. You know, so he's, he's, and he's also such a, such a, such a uh, I'm going to say a champion, small C, you know, for other Hawaiian fighters. Like he's, he's not just interested in like, I'm the, I'm the big champ and, you know, I love Hawaii and bring the UFC to Hawaii. He's like, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm the, I'm the champ, and there's all these other Hawaiian fighters, and we're this great generation of fighters who come from Hawaii, and you know people need to know about all of us, and and uh, you know, and and he's he's just a really classy you know young man. So I think it's I think that's good, and I think right. I mean, it goes both ways, and there's there's you know there's there's you know people love a bad guy, and people love a you know I mean like. You know, Mayweather is a perfect example of, you know, a guy who is like, you know, a good looking, you know, uh, you know, sincere guy coming up and beat all these people and was this, you know, incredibly phenomenal, you know, phenomenon of a fighter. And then eventually realizes that, oh, I, you know, I need to flip the script here and I'll be the guy everybody hates, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and then they'll pay me even more money. So I'm going to be money Mayweather and I'll, I'll be the guy that everybody pays, you know, you know, uh, pay-per-view money to, to see me get beat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so you know, it, it, we'll always have both, I suppose. But it, it is really refreshing right now to have people, at least some people, backing away and just saying, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to do this other thing. I wanna, I wanna define this, you know, for myself. And and for me, that I, I'm not the person who's gonna put myself out here and, and be negative and, and say mean things to all these people and, and, you know, strut around this way or whatever, you know, I'm going to do it differently and I'm going to make it my own. So, and, and that, and that brings us back to the creativity thing too. You know, I think the other day on Twitter or something, I had a quote from, uh, I think it was, uh, uh Jean Cocteau <laughs> and I, I tagged you in it. and it was basically a quote saying, you know, there's all these things that, you know, about you that are, are, different or something like that that people will call you out for but those are the things that actually make you you and those are the things that you need to hold on to and i think that um that that you know that when it comes to art or writing or poetry or painting or any of the things that that Kato did it's the same thing that we see in martial arts whether that's traditional martial arts or combat sport or anything you know it's it's ultimately we want to see these people be themselves and to fight like themselves and to represent themselves as themselves and to make those championships their own so um uh so it's, it's great it's great to see it and it's it's it is especially fascinating when they're these young people who are under you know, so much scrutiny and so much pressure and putting themselves through such, you know, sacrifice and deprivation to do these things. Um, and, and, and still, 
you know, capable of blossoming as, as, as humans within the middle of all that, you know, because there's lots of 25 year olds who aren't doing any of that and they still can't blossom as humans. Yeah, without the We've all been there. <laughs> you know? That's right. No, no, no harm, no harm, no foul. But, you know, but, you know, it's just another way that a lot of these people are, are, are you know, again, exceptional and, and, uh, and really have celebrated. Yeah. So what did you, um, so, you know, uh, a Nashville area fighter, uh, Luke Sanders, was fighting last night and got caught in the second round. I think it was the second round. Um, yeah, it was. And, you know, was had a great showing up to that point. So, I, you know, hated to see him uh, lose. And, you know, I know that he, at least as it happened, thought that perhaps the stoppage was a little early, which is not necessarily really the case. It could, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. But ultimately... I just hated to see him uh, lose because I just want to see him, uh, you know, come up. I think he's got incredible skills and all the right things to be incredibly successful. But man, what a brutal uh, thing the fight game is. You know, you get caught, you get caught. And right. it, it can happen to anybody at any time. I, I think that while the fighter that he was fighting, who I can't even remember his name, whatever, uh, the Asian sensation or whatever, uh, a, a right. younger guy, um, certainly long, had a lot of reach. Um, but I thought that Luke Sanders was dominating, uh, you know, footwork and getting inside and everything in the first round. Uh, I'm not a fight expert, but that's kind of what we, you know, that's why we talk about it. Um, but uh, it looked to me like Luke really had run of run of that fight um, and was just running his game and his program and then just got caught. Yeah, totally. I mean, and, and like you said, I mean, he looked uh, up to that point. It looked really good. I mean, he, uh, you know, early on, the, the, you know, he was definitely the, I mean, for the, you know, first round especially. I mean, there was, he was the only fighter who was really actually seeming to be actively engaging and, um, and you know, rather effectively so. Um, and uh, um, by the time, uh, you know, the second round came around, it was, he was even more, uh, you know, making even more progress. I think it was toward the end, like actually it was really toward the near beginning of the first round. He, uh, uh, had, uh, the Asian sensation. I can't even say his, his name right now. I can't, I, honestly, I, I don't have it in front of me and I'm not going to say it right. If I try to just spell it out of my memory, but, um, it was called the Asian sensation. <laughs> he, uh, he had him against the page and like, and immediately he was like throwing these really crafty little elbows and stuff. And then, at the end of the first, uh, um, I think that there was like a knee and there, you know, he was doing really interesting things, not, you know, not just relying on, you know, like a simple toolkit or anything and, uh, and looked really good and was aggressive. And he's, he's always, you know, an aggressive fighter and, and the kind of like pressure nonstop kind of guy, you know, that's definitely one of his strengths. And, uh, um, and that's kind of what we saw. And I think, I think if anything, if you had to make a criticism, of that kind of fighting it's that you know you can become uh you know so unmeasured you know that that you can be too wild or something but i don't really think that was the case in this fight i think that it was you know just sort of like on the break you know he mm -hmm. got caught with a hook and that was the beginning of the end and and again it was like one of the things people could go back go back and watch it and uh it was uh i i tweeted about it you know uh while we were watching the fight but it's one of those things where he, I mean, obviously Luke felt like it was an early stop. Um, uh, a lot of people in the crowd were booing, you know, all the way through until the next fight because they felt like it was an early stop. Um, but, you know, to me, it was, it was understandable why it was stopped when it was stopped. And, and 
you know, if if I had to choose, like, for the rest of my life, do I want to see things stopped that early or do I want to see things go on to the point where it's uncomfortably late, I would rather it be early. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, always, uh, always. And I would rather it be early because when it's all said and done, you know, anybody who saw that fight knows what happened. You know what I mean? Everybody knows that he was, you know, uh, doing very well up until that moment. And, uh, and, and, you know, and that even, even, you know, with that being a stoppage against him, you know, he was, you know, he wasn't, you know, uh, it, it, you know, he was, he was, you know, up and arguing with the referee moments after it was over, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, you know, and I would, I mean, again, it's just when it's said and done, it's like, you can have a blemish on your record, uh, especially in MMA, you know, it's not like boxing where, you know, these guys just compile these huge records of wins, you know, it's like you can have this blemish on your record and it, it doesn't necessarily have to define anything going forward. Um, and, you know, with that in mind, I would rather, I would rather have, you know, I, I know it's hard for the fighters themselves, but for me as a fan watching it, I'd rather this guy just, you know, for safety's sake, have the early stoppage and yeah. live to fight another day. Let's do, a, let's do a rematch. You know what I mean? You were doing great. Let's do it again. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I think it was, uh, uh, you know, might have been a little early, but again, if, it, if, 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 we, if we have to pick early or late, I'd rather see fights stopped early. One of the things I love about mixed martial arts is that is that it's not like boxing where guys just take repeated blows to the head. They fall down. Then they're, you know, cleared uh, up, encouraged stood to up, stand yeah. back up yeah. before they're, before the, you know, before they're put against the guy to keep on fighting. I, I think it's one of the things I think is great about mixed martial arts is the fact that, you know, once there is a significant, you know, change in the momentum like that, you know, that everybody immediately is looking for the fight to be over. You know, there's, mm. there's, it's almost like the, it's almost like the equivalent, like a TKO like that. To me, it's almost like the equivalent of a, um, of a, of a, of a tapping, uh, you know, in a, when you're getting choked out, you know, you don't have to be choked out unconscious. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a certain like checkmate moment where it's like, okay, this guy, this guy turned the corner. He captured your queen. The, the fight's over. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, yeah, you're, you, you got caught. You, you're on, you're on all fours and this guy's whacking you in the head. You know, maybe you are going to get to your feet, but you know, uh, to what end? You know yeah. what I mean. I just so, really—I mean, I think so that I, I think that if 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 it were different, I think that if it were the first round and and say that um uh the Asian sensation uh what is his name Andre Sukum Tat or whatever his name is um if Andre yeah. <laughs> like but if that if the Asian sensation would just would have pressed towards Luke Sanders you know sixty seconds into the first round and and then caught him that way and put him down it would have seemed a lot more normative like yep like that's good but i think that everybody was just really sensing how well luke sanders was doing and it just seemed like yeah. give the guy a chance he's been ruling this whole fight you know what i mean um so yeah. i think that that's part of what factored into sort of the you know and then i would imagine if you're luke sanders um you know you're just you're going to be frustrated because you just can't believe that you were doing that well and then got caught. And so you're just going to act out for a second, um, irrespective of, right. You know, which is totally, yeah. you know, cause you're like, God, you know, frustrated. it's gotta be a combination of being frustrated with yourself as much as just frustrated with the situation. But I'm sure that, uh, he's, you know, able to see the big picture once he's removed from, you know, actual, the, you know, the actual fight and probably can look back on it. I don't think he has any problem with it. Um, yeah. And yeah. ho hopefully he we can, 
hopefully we can get him on this uh, show. Uh, I've, I've been following him uh, since he was in the XFC. Um, so I'm fight, I think a couple times in the XFC and then have certainly followed him as he's, uh, risen through, uh, you know, into the UFC and, and, you know, pressing forward there. So I just want to see him uh-huh. do well. I just, I think he's a great fighter. Um, not just because he's local. Uh, I just think he's right. really, I think he's really got uh, high level skills and, and has all the right things to be really successful. I just want to see that for him. Yeah, well, and also, too, people should look him up on, like, SureDog. Because when you look on SureDog, I think he... I don't remember how he... He did lose his last fight, if if I remember correctly, and I, I'm not sure. I think it might have been a submission, but, but basically, up till then, he was, you know, uh, had a long streak of undefeated, uh, of you know, a, as an undefeated fighter. Um, again, if you see the fight that happened last night, I don't think it's... You know, it's it's no kind of like defining moment of like what's next for Luke Sanders. We're not sure. It definitely isn't that kind of situation. You know, he looked great. He looked just fine. You know, and then there was this rather somewhat controversial stoppage. So, so he's definitely got you know, uh, you know, uh, more evolving to do. And and we have we haven't seen him even come into his own yet, really. Um, uh, but like just so p- listeners know, so he is a Nashville fighter. He fights with uh, Nashville MMA. Very easy to remember. <laughs> and uh, the National MMA group is um, is connected to Sidthala Muay Thai, which is where um, Ashley Burns, uh, that's the, the Muay Thai uh, kickboxing team that Ashley Burns fights with. And Ashley was our, our second real guest on the show. I guess it was our third podcast. First one was just you and I. The next yep. one was with Nieves. And then we talked to Ashley. So so this is, you know, um, you know hopefully we'll get people like Luke on. Um, you know, and, and, you know, more people from that, from that gym and from the, the, the Nashville community. I know that right now it's kind of, um, uh, again, it's a bit of an inconvenient time for me to be away from town because I know that there are, there's abouts and stuff that are going to be coming up soon. Um, but, but as, you know, but whatever, as time goes on and as they happen, we'll be getting more and more people in. Yeah. And the, again, that'll be times when, you know, maybe we'll have guests on where we're mostly just talking about fighting and then, uh, yeah. as opposed to, when we're talking to saxophonists about music, you know, so 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 some of those would be more fight heavy, uh, uh, you know, shows. But, well, hopefully, but, uh, but ho- yeah, but hopefully, what happens is that hopefully what happens is that we just if we just keep doing what we're doing, I really think that some threads will commonly sort of align. Um, so for anybody that's been listening and they're like, "What are you guys doing? You're all over the place. Just hang loose." We're just, <laughs> yeah. we're just we're just people talking about what we're interested in and we're you know if you think it's problematic imagine what it's like for us uh being <laughs> you know it's uh I, I but i do think that there's something there's something to it i mean also like you know when i um you know like for instance like you know i thought man well i really hope luke wins he might be in a better place to where we can get him on the show <laughs> and talk to him right. you know, on the podcast sure. but uh at the same time like who cares like whatever it's amazing you're doing this this thing and so hopefully he is uh, amenable to because i mean here's the thing the, the questions and the things that i would like to talk to somebody about in that realm i think are pretty different and i think you have pretty different sort of insights to uh than uh what you normally hear in uh, the typical MMA media and conversations, you know, because we're trying to yeah. sort of pull these things out in, in a different way. I mean, I'm really interested in just this, this what's happening psych- psychologically and, and um, you know, how they get past certain challenges uh, and, and also just sort of digging at some of the abstracts of what their experiences 
are because it's just a a really fascinating i mean what a, what an incredible case study of just humanity to 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 talk to um you know people uh that are that are doing something so risky and uh but so rewarding and so solitary yet based in teamwork i mean there's just so many dynamics yeah. that that i think are in exact parallel to sort of the struggle of of the artist you know and and uh yeah. you know like for instance like so you know i i work this uh you know i have a a, a day gig you know where i i work in in marketing and you know i had recently a um uh a coworker uh that was actually well okay my my old boss um you know she's left the company or whatever uh, which is great but um but basically you know she she was trying to tell me you know she was like well you're you know in, in trying to explain these sort of disconnects that we had she sort of said well you're you're a starving artist um and so that you know and she was sort of trying to I don't even know really what she was trying to say, but I think she was just trying to be reductive towards me and, and, uh, and throw shade, um, uh, and sort of put me in this kind of place. But I, it was funny because I didn't say it in the moment because I just didn't really care to give it any energy. But in thinking about it, I thought, you know, the one you got one out of two, right. But she should, (laughs) right. Like, because I, I'm definitely an artist um, but I'm not starving because I have a job yeah. because I can eat because I, I have money that yeah. I make to do shit. And it, so, yeah. so, uh, just that, like there's this, um, a similar identity problem or some sort of strain of, of, of the identity dilemma that I think extends, uh, through fighting as much as it does in art in the sense that, um, you know, sort of like tree falls in the woods if, you know, but if nobody hears it, you know, so there's this kind of thing where it's, it's like, uh, um, you know, fighters like Ashley, you know, that are not competing on the highest level, um, are in my mind, no less valid or no less amazing or anything else. Uh, if, if not, maybe even more so because they don't have the amenities and the resources and, uh, you you know, the time. So she's, she's, talk about like fighting i mean you know she's somebody that's a parent and trying to to do all these things and still makes the time to keep that discipline because she knows that that keeps her whole and makes her a better person well you know somebody that's got a whole team and money and all these things behind you and facilities and all that like that's certainly still very hard but i mean you know what i would i say that anybody that's not professional um or even some like there's plenty of fighters that do not compete. Are you any less of a fighter? I, I don't think so, you know. Um, and I see that with with art too, you know. Especially in these, we're not in the age of patronage, you know. We're not in the age of uh, you know a lot of people even really caring about the arts. Our schools don't take care of the arts, you know. Our culture doesn't uh, do nearly what it should to foster the arts. And then you've got this whole sort of social media identity problem where people are looking for validation in all these ways and areas uh that are external and this is some stuff that jeff and i talked about um on the last podcast uh, at least touched on this but i i just i think it's endlessly interesting how there's this this uh this parallel so getting back to sort of why i even launched off on that tangent it's basically just um i really want to talk to more and more people 
because by me understanding or you understanding uh, or us understanding more about what drives these people uh, to compete or to not compete or to train or to coach or, uh, you know, whatever they're doing and to keep broadening their vocabulary and their capacity and their abilities. Um, that's really inspiring to me directly for the things that, that I, that I do and it doesn't, you know, and hopefully other people that are listening. So over time, I think that this stuff will start to sort of echo more clearly off of each other. But in the meantime, it's pretty cool because you and I are just the resident weirdos who like fighting and, and art. So it works. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one another thing that I've, I've been noticing, and I think we talked about this a little bit early on, but I mean, it feels like every week I, I find another example of this. And even this morning, I don't know if you noticed, but I tagged you in a uh, in a comment on Instagram, I, uh, uh, this morning I woke up, I had, I had a nightmare, frankly, Brian, I had a terrible nightmare and I woke up, um, wasn't terrible really, but, uh, but I woke up early and, uh, sort of like, you know, got, got a glass of water and, and, um, just chilled out for a minute. And I was like sitting up in bed looking at my, uh, Instagram feed. And I saw that, um, uh, a friend of mine, Taylor Alexander, who's a singer songwriter, who some of our listeners might know from a little show called the voice. Um, uh, he, uh, just, I think it was probably his first tournament, but he just competed in a, a, a grappling games tournament somewhere in, uh, Tennessee, I'm assuming. I don't even know exactly where he did this at. Uh, and it looks like he's got a white belt with a blue stripe on it. So he's a, a pretty, you know, new to, uh, jujitsu, but he's already won a, a medal. So, uh, awesome. uh, he was, you know, yeah, so he was, he had like, you know, a little three or four picture, little stream going on on his Instagram showing, you know, him, uh, him and his wife and him and, uh, you know, a sort of in the winner's circle and him with some of his teammates. And, uh, uh, and I was like, God damn, like, here we go again. It's like, ever since we started this podcast, it just feels like I, every time I turn around, I find another person who's like, Hey Joe, are you doing that podcast about the fighting and the creativity? Because, yeah. you know, because I want to talk about this and I want to talk about that. And then it's like, Oh, my singer songwriter buddy is, uh, you know, he's winning jujitsu medals. You know what I mean? So, so, uh, um, uh, so I feel like, um, you know, there's, we're, I feel like we're on to something and I didn't even know that we were on to something as much as I knew you and I were on to something. And it's like, hell yeah, let's just talk about this and see what happens. But I really feel like there's something here and, and, uh, and we're not the only ones who understand that. So, um, uh, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people who are listening right now. If you're listening to this show, we really appreciate everybody checking it out and, um, and definitely hit us up on social media and stuff like that. And let us know if you have any questions that you want us to explore or, you know, potential guests you want us to talk to, because uh, honestly, the more people that we meet and bring on to the show or, you know, are, are planning to schedule in the future, um, and, or the more people that we know are, are listening and interested I mean, this is this is maybe the best reason to be doing any of this is just so Brian and I don't feel like such lone weirdos <laughs> who are like, you know, creativity is so important, but I also really appreciate a need to the face. Well, it's all it's all primal ultimately, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's so you know, I never, again, we've talked about this, you know, but I, I'm never going to try to change somebody's opinion. Uh, you know, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Um, right. you know, but the, the UFC and, you know, things like people perceive those people to be, you know, like this kind of stereotypes of, uh, and, the, the, and the, that exists, that is, that's real. <laughs> like that's not the reason why people yeah. think that that's a thing is because it is, there are these, these, uh, affliction 
sort of uh there there is like a sort of a slightly meathead kind of angle to it um for sure yeah for sure um but it's not the only the only thing yeah and uh you know like yeah there's definitely there's also the the effete art nerd type you know that actually exists as well you know what i mean yeah um and then in the middle of all that you know there's there's you know creative people who also understand that you know, being a whole person isn't just your brain or your, your creativity and, and, you know, and people who are physical, who understand that they have other needs besides building their bodies or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Have you seen so, this, uh, have, yeah. you, have you seen this Keaton Jones phenomena breaking out? Do you know this kid, uh, Keaton Jones, who was the, his mother had recorded him, uh, crying about being bullied at school. Um, have you I seen, I think I just saw it today. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So, um, you know, it's, is, it, is, he, is he like in the car? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's devastating, right? It's just, it's so pure and so clear and so devastating about his, you know, and he's trying to sort of turn the corner and motivate others to just not worry about getting bullied because you're different. Uh, but at the same time, he's right. just crying his eyes out while he's doing this. And it's just, it's gut wrenching. And to see what's happening right now, uh, you know, Dana White, is all over it. All the fighters are all over it. They are just like, this kid is going to be uh, a VIP, a superstar. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just the coolest thing to see. Uh, um, I, you know, so as much as people like uh, might see that kind of thing is they might see that that mixed martial arts is just a tool or a, a vehicle for bullies or bullying or bully mentalities. It's actually yeah. quite constructively, uh, the obvious, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, yeah. the, the yeah. opposite. It's, it's, uh, it's so, it's so clear that, um, you know, most people that are fighters that are very successful are people that were bullied or not respected or picked on uh, as a kid. And that's what they turn to to sort of find some sort of sanctity and peace and confidence. That's almost always the story, you know, almost always that's the story, you know, is, is that, you know, uh, either, you know, either, you know, oppressed in some way, you know what I mean? And, and put into a situation where you had to learn how to do this, you know, and that's, you don't just naturally, I mean, people in and of themselves don't just naturally learn how to go punch other people in the face. It just doesn't happen that way, you know, but, but in the right circumstances, you'll find your way there because you need it. And, and, and one of the biggest ones is, is bullies. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of fighters who, if you ask them, how did you get into this? It's like, well, you know, I was bullied at school. I was from a tough neighborhood. I had to learn how to defend myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, you hear that story over and over again. I mean, throughout the history of, 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 you know, of all fighting. I mean, that's, that's the story almost all the time, you know? So, so I think that, you know, it's, it's, by far, in my experience, you know, the people who find their way to martial arts or boxing or anything like that, mm -hmm. they got there because they were bullied, not because they wanted to bully people more. You know what I mean? That was yeah. that was totally not it. Yeah. You know, like, think, I just saw I just saw the Karate Kid again the other night. Yeah. You know, that's the perfect story of, of, you know, little Daniel Russo. You know, he's got he's to gotta learn how to, def to defend himself against the Cobra Kai. <laughs> that's know? right. And the Cobra Kai's out there. I mean, sure, there's, there's idiots, you know what I mean? But... But there's a lot more Daniel LaRusso's out there. Thank uh, God, Brian. Thank God for Daniel LaRusso. Well, I'll tell you what, Karate, <laughs> Karate Kid definitely got uh, a lot of skills in that era because, like, the, wasn't it like the next movie? He was all of a sudden an expert electric guitar player. 
<laughs> oh, that's yeah, uh, Crossroads. Crossroads. Right? <laughs> yeah, boy, yeah, uh, Ralph Macchio is like a, the, the modern Renaissance. <laughs> he had to do everything just well enough to be filmed, <laughs> pretending to do it while, yeah, while no, acting uh, at the same um, time. Pretty incredible. Yeah, but I will. <laughs> but I tell you what, I mean, just, just as long as we're on this uh, Karate Kid tip for a second here, the. I, I wasn't a really big fan of the other ones, but the first Karate Kid movie is actually directed by the same guy who directed the original Rocky film. And man, oh man, I'm telling you that 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 original Karate Kid movie is—it's not—I mean, it's not quite as heavy and dark and brooding and incredible as the first Rocky movie, but man, oh man, it's still really a very, very good movie. And there are moments in that movie that just give me chills still. So, uh, so I, I, I really love. It. I, I recommend it. if you haven't seen Karate Kid in a long time. That's our <laughs> movie of the it. week, Ryan. Maybe we'll have a movie of the week. This week's movie is Karate Kid. <laughs> Man. Well, yeah. For me, right now, the the movie of the week is like anything you can find about Bitcoin. That that's been my uh, my latest obsession. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, so not quite as eloquent the as Bitcoin Kid. Yeah, but I would say wax on, wax off should be also like exactly uh, everyone's investment philosophy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta get some Bitcoin, Mom. <laughs> Why did you move me to California? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty interesting. And then uh, you know, and then uh, the other sort of happening that I sort of witnessed recently was um, you know two nights ago I went to go see a band called the Jesus Lizard that is back doing a reunion tour after you know many many years not uh, being an active band, and it was aggressively badass um this is like you know the the last time i saw this band was probably when i was 23 or something and so you always wonder Uh like okay how much more you know you've seen so many docile reunions of all these various bands you know of your youth you know uh this was something else here i'll I'll share an excerpt with you see if you can hear it there you go that's what it sounded like uh, it was if you're 57 years old and David Yao who's a phenomena and a, and a um, uh, force he's 57 years old and writhing and falling all over the crowd and going nuts it was really incredible apparently he had to train to uh, to be able to even do this tour and he had to stop. Oh, I'm sure. Stop yeah. drinking so much, or whatever it was. Um, well, they uh, they um, uh, I saw like uh, you know on my Facebook or whatever. It seemed like nearly everybody I know in Nashville was at that show. So, and all of them raved. I didn't hear one person say anything but rave reviews about it. Yeah, it was cool because it was like a family reunion of a family that you didn't know existed or something. There's just whatever some common thread of people that all dug on that music back when or whatever. Um, and uh, it was definitely more, more, you know, a little bit more docile crowd-wise. I mean, there were definitely people moving around and causing havoc, but it wasn't. I had a, a distinct memory of uh, a friend of mine jokes with me about uh, a particular stage dive that I did at one of their shows <laughs> way back when where, you know, like the seas, the seas naturally parted as at the least mm-hmm. opportune time for me 
And I was telling, who was I telling? <laughs> I was like, and so I basically had run from the back of the stage all the way, jumped off the front of the stage, and then just landed on the con- <laughs> on the concrete, like in the beer, in, in the spilled beer muck, black filth of you know whatever <laughs> whatever was on the floor in a club in 1992 uh, at the Cat's uh-huh. Cradle. It was like. Uh, you know, I, I probably could have broken my neck or died, but it was just ended up being just really fun. Uh, and, and, uh, so, uh, I had posted something about seeing that show. Um, a friend of mine that I went to that show with back when he was like, how did the stage guy, how did the stage dive go this time? <laughs> Which, <laughs> I, there was none of that. So, uh, yeah, the, yeah. but the, but they killed it and it was really inspirational because it's, you know, to see, uh, their, like their music is extremely challenging, really physical, um really precise and just the tone and everything was fully there it was not in any way like um i don't know you see like these led zeppelin reunions that happened back when or these things where you're like wow this is like a facsimile of what was not just because bonham being dead but just the energy and the whatever is just not not there um yeah this was just wow um full full on i so you know it made me just sort of take pause and think about uh you know sort of creatively or whatever it is i might have going on or whatever it is that i'm doing uh it just kind of reminded me that i can pick up things that i had put down and with enough uh um energy i i, I can be right back where i was with anything if i feel like that's the thing for me to do at that you know again or or whatever it was just real inspiring yeah, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, I'm, and I'm glad to hear that, too, because like you say, I mean, we've all seen, you know, whatever, you know, bands we used to love or, you know, even older bands, you know, that, you know, uh, are still out there touring and, and, you know, you like their music and the tickets aren't that expensive. So, yeah, let's go check that out. And you go see it and it's like sometimes it's a pleasant surprise and sometimes, you know, you wish you would have just stayed home and listened to the record because, you know, they're, they're sort of going through the motions or whatever, but, but yeah, it's always cool when you see something and it's like, wow, this feels like, I don't know. It's like, it's always like the spirit of it that matters the most. It's like, do, can they still summon that, like that energy and that ferocity or that, you know, that intensity, you know, yeah. um, you know, that they did before. And a lot of times that's the main thing. I mean, they can still play the same song. Maybe the singer can still sing them in the same key, but but is there, do they still have the urgency about their own music when they were 25 as that they do when they're 55? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's the hard part, I think. But yeah, it's, I'm glad. I mean, every, like I said, everybody, uh, you know, that I've, I've seen talk about it online has said that they, you know, that it was a great show. Yeah. And just like, just like fighters, right? Like they, it's, when do you call it quits and, you know, they, they have a hard time letting it go. They'll let themselves go and lose their last, you know, handful of fights before things start to get real to them that they should hang it up or even worse, like the sort of like the Bob Sapp kind of level of, uh, just becoming a circus act to like get taking a paycheck to go get, you know, uh, knocked out in you know, the first round with no chance in hell of winning the fight. I don't know. So I, I think of, um, there's so many people that don't know when to hang it up, uh, for whatever it is they're doing. Uh, I don't know if this, I don't know if seeing the, the Jesus Lizard show helped me or not in the sense that, uh, it, it almost created an irrational level of confidence that you could still do anything, <laughs> you know, because even me just jumping up and down in the crowd, I was like, whoa, my calves, are, my calves are getting sore right now. <laughs> um, 
or I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to throw my PBR into the air, you know, because it cost me like four bucks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to drink every last drop of this. Beer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just cause everybody else is throwing their beer on, on David Yao doesn't mean that I have to, um, <laughs> like if I would have known, I would have gone to Costco. I would have done this right. You know, so <laughs> yeah, I've got a membership, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, so adult sensibilities—it's a—it's a real thing that you have to contend with. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But you know, I will say yeah. too that, like, for me, just to go to a show that late at night, you know, um, was like okay, you know. I, <laughs> but I was so glad that I did. I was so glad, and it definitely was like a family reunion. I saw so many people um, from so many parts of my life all there it was really cool everybody this every the spirit yeah. it was the first show of this this whole thing where they haven't played in years and uh and where was the uh, where was the show at uh the worst venue to see music in in probably the world which is called the cannery ballroom in nashville tennessee i, was, I knew you were gonna say the cannery yeah <laughs> it's so terrible it's such a drag that they played there honestly they should have done it like they did before like uh like when they played in Nashville 10 years ago or whatever it was, and they played a uh, exit in way better venue for, but I guess it's just yeah. about capacity or, or whatever, but, or just play the yeah. play municipal or I don't know. Go, if you're going to go, if you, if it's about capacity and ticket sales, then go play some bigger uh, thing. But if you just want to have a yeah. quality show and a quality experience, <clears throat> then do it not at cannery. I mean, even just anywhere else, anywhere else, because that room sucks. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's like an elbow shaped, so it's sort of like the first the first seventy five feet of distance from the stage is pretty great if you can get there, and then everything else is terrible because uh, it right. just kind of the whole room kind of turns and takes a left uh, and just kind yeah. of goes and it's uh it's bad it's bad um, I would never go I would never go see a show there otherwise unless it was something that momentous yeah. Or you didn't know any better. That's my review for the Cannery Ballroom. Um, and uh, Ladies and gentlemen, don't go to the Cannery. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's been one of those things where, you know, you go there when you have to. If a band is going to play there, then you go there and you just know you're in, it's not going to, your sound's going to be terrible. And it's going to be, you know, like you say, if a bunch of people show up, maybe I get stuck in the back around the corner. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, or... I'm glad they didn't do it in some place that feels awkward, like a museum piece, right? Like to be at the Skirmerhorn or something. It's like, when you see punk rock bands or, you know, people in these kind of elevated status kind of places, you know, that are really not oh, yeah. of their origin. It's always weird. It's like, why don't, right. you, just, why don't you just... Anytime a band plays with a symphony, it's always a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why don't you just play in a plexiglass box from 3 to 5 p.m. every day or something? Like, what is the, you know... Um, yeah, no... Yeah, that's worse. So, it, you know, at least the cannery is like literally an old cannery. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I guess you know, and if, it, if anybody wonders what the hell I'm even talking about, if you just want to check out Jesus Lizard, I recommend. I like I like uh, they have a track called Boilermaker that is kind of the thing that gets my blood pumping. So, I don't know, check it out. Um, but uh, again, like most of the things that we talk about, it's not for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, and then so now. Uh, so getting back to fighting for a minute or fights, you know, um, Cub Swanson said that he thought he was, he felt like he was going to die when he's getting choked out last night. Um, Aljamain Sterling got, you know, uh, whatever 
scary, scary, scary knocked out and was out for a while, but he's fine. But, um, you know, to another person that I, uh, Marais, who had seen fight before uh, in his younger days, uh, that was incredible. And so a lot of things happened that were just really something else. But um, now it's like what's coming up and what got announced basically is uh, – if you don't know, uh, Francis Ngannou is the scariest human being that anybody that's a fight fan has ever witnessed after what he did to Alistair Overeem. And he's going to be fighting Stipe Miocic for the World Heavyweight Championship in what, like just a matter of a couple of months now, a month and a half? It's going to be a month. Yeah. Is it? It's going to yeah. be soon. So, holy shit. That is going to be. I think it's in February. Is it in February? Is that right? Uh, let me look. Yeah, look it up. There's a bunch of, I mean, there's a bit, you know, there's not a lot of great cards coming up. I mean, you never know. I mean, some of these cards turn out better than we think, but, but there's not a whole lot of cards that I'm excited about, but there's definitely main events and stuff that I'm excited about. Yeah. I mean, Cy- Cyborg home, uh, as far as 145 yeah. pound women go, I mean, I think Lala RDA should be, could be really great and we'll see what happens, but I think that could be a great fight. Could be. And then, um, and then there's the uh, so you know no uh, the Miocic Ngannou fight is January twentieth. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and on also on that card is Cormier versus Ozdemir. So two- here's the question I have about that. Okay. Do Do you want to see that fight, or wouldn't you rather see him fight uh, Gustafson? I I think. <sighs> Uh, Gustafson def- looks so good against Teixeira, and I feel like, yeah, I, feel- I mean, I guess, I mean, I understand that Ozdemir got that knockout recently, but if, like, did you see Gustafson's fight against John Jones? I mean, to me, Gustafson's yeah. a, like, way more established fighter than, than Ozdemir, and he deserves the shot. Well, I think it's about being active. Because I, mean, I, th- I, yeah, I, I think Gustafson has been doing, a, I don't really know his whole story or what's going on, but it seems to me like uh-huh. that, that he is doing... A little bit of hiding, uh, you know, because I, I just don't think that he wants to fight unless it's really an important fight, which makes total sense. Um, yeah. I, I don't think he's a guy that wants to fight just to fight. And then, uh, and that's probably, you might be right. and it's probably because of what happened in that Jones fight where it's like, you know, <laughs> such destruction that, uh, you know, you probably think twice about getting into another war yeah. like that. Um, and then he just seems to be really quiet and sort of off the radar. So I don't know. I mean, I, I see it as... I think there's something, there's something about these Scandinavian fighters, too. They're sort of like, you know, they're, they're like hidden away up north somewhere, and then every now and then yeah. they emerge from the ice. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah he's he's in some Viking place or something. But uh, uh, so he's probably working on a wooden boat, large-scale wooden boat somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he but, does uh, have a baby too so i think maybe that's part of it as well as he's just taking some time to be a dad for a minute yeah, before yeah. he gets back to it and and maybe maybe if uh once ozdemir and and cormier get their things sorted out uh uh gustafson will, will fight the winner maybe um i mean it's not like the ranks are that are uh, that thick in the light heavyweight division at this point so he, i mean he's got to jump in really quick here sooner or later so yeah, um, I wouldn't uh, be surprised too if but, if, if Gustafsson secretly wants Ozdemir to win because uh, I don't think he would do very well against Cormier, honestly. Yeah, I don't either. I think he'd do better against Ozdemir. I don't think Ozdemir is going to do that well against Cormier. What do you think? I I think anybody facing Cormier has got a problem. 
I think that's that's well said. I mean, basically, I've seen him, I've seen him beat everybody but John Jones. You know what I mean? And uh, and you know, I mean, not everybody, you know, loves his wrestling style of fighting, but he's really goddamn good at it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you're if you're gonna beat Cormier, you've, you in my mind, you've basically just got to catch him with something, you know, a hard shot. You got to catch him. And, right. and that's what Jones was able to do, um, uh, at least in the second meeting. Um, right. And otherwise, you're just gonna if you if you need to be in a if you're gonna be in a prolonged, grueling uh, battle with lots of clinching and and wrestling and in and out. I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna lose. Um, and so, you know, I, and then you know uh, Cormier fighting Rumble and taking one of Rumble's shots, you know, which is one of the hardest punches out that's ever happened. Uh, you know, if he can take that kind of a shot, then that's got to be pretty uh, unnerving for anybody that's going to go up against him because it's like, well, I can hit him with my best shot, and it's probably not going to rock him. So, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only the only time I've seen him more. I mean, I you know he recovered from that and was able to win that fight, and and with. Uh, you know, it took John Jones kicking him in the head, you know, to, to, to finally stop him, you know? So I think, I think, um, so, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, I do, I agree with you that just generally speaking, it's a problem and he's the champ for a reason and it's not going to be easy, you know, to take that away from him. Cause even in the Jones fight, even though he did get finished, uh, you know, like we'll put the PED issue to the side. Um, but even though he does get finished in that fight up until that point, he, he, he was hanging with John Jones big time. You know, he looked real good. Yeah. So I think, you know, do you think, I don't think, I don't necessarily think Vulcan Ozdemir is, is John Jones, you know what I mean? And uh, so, so I think that, you know, Cormier, you know, is, is going to be able to, to, you know, get in there and, and strike. And at the same time, you know, uh, then he starts grinding and he doesn't get tired. <laughs> you know, no. and that's the biggest thing. It's just, I mean, that's the biggest thing in so many of these five-round fights especially. It's just like, this is the guy who doesn't get tired. You know, that's one of the things, you know, a fight we haven't talked about yet was um, uh, with the uh, the Eddie Alvarez-Justin uh, Gaethje. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I thought was so great about that fight is that Gaethje is one of those guys, too, who's just a berserker who doesn't know how to stop no matter how hard you hit him. Yeah. And, and I really thought it was amazing the way right from the very fucking beginning of that fight, you saw Eddie Alvarez not be the quote-unquote dog that he is, not be this rabid, you know, slugger that he can turn into. You saw him be very measured, man, and be very tactical and just throw in those body punches, which were incredible. I mean, that was like a, that was like a tech, that was like a, a clinic in body punching. You yeah, know what I mean? It was like and a video game. Him doing that, yeah, and you saw him just interrupting the pace over and over and over again. And before you know it, I mean, just Gaethje is Gaethje's exhausted. You know what I mean? And so is he. But but you know, but at the end of the day, it's okay if you, it's okay as long as Gaethje's also exhausted. You know yeah. what I mean? So you know, but there was never a moment where you had the sense that you know, Ga- here comes Gaethje just you know marching forward, and and this other guy's got that look in his eyes like I got nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that never ever happened. You know, and eventually, of course, you know, Eddie stops him with that crazy knee, you know, so, so that was, that was an incredible fight though. That was like a, that was a clinic in how to put the, put your, put your pace onto the fight and not let the other guy control the pace of the fight. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it, that was, that was an incredible performance. I mean, I, that was, that was a, 
eye-opening for me because I honestly thought that Gaethje was going to just, was going to, again, just like he does. I mean, I really thought that he was going to get him. And, and, and it, instead, it really felt to me like Eddie won that entire fight. He won every round. He stopped him. And, and you know, it was just a dominating performance. I think, yeah. Definitely. I, I think. Off. I wouldn't want to be his legs. <laughs> you, know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he definitely got some. I'm, I don't think he was walking much, you know, after, you know for, for a while after that fight. Because, I mean, he got his legs kicked the fuck. You're yeah. definitely, like, wondering, you know, is, you know, is, is he going to be able to continue doing what he's doing or is his legs going to give out before this fight's over and and you know and and they didn't you know and he made it through but man oh man it was it was definitely a pretty wild fight i just thought it was cool to see because uh, you know when alvarez lost to mcgregor you could see that that was that was a that was a a mental collapse i think more than anything uh but understandable yeah. understandable in the sense that that's a ridiculous scope uh, and scale of an event to be on and you know all the hype and you know just all those things it's just a lot for anybody unless you're just made for that like mcgregor is for whatever weird natural reason that's what his his he's right in in his you know he created that so of course he's comfortable in it but then you know i think that uh alvarez i was just happy to see how he had his mind right um even before the fight you know watching him talk with uh robin black and and others it was so cool because you could just see that he had not been uh, sort of mortally, psychologically wounded by you know uh, what he had been through, and then and that he's he's definitely grown from it, and that's really all you can do. Um, and so for him to fight yeah. such a tactical, well-executed, intelligent, very under control, never panicked uh, in what easily could be a fight of the year contender of just absolute mayhem and chaos was so impressive. And honestly, like I've always been an, you know, an Alvarez fan on some level um, for sure. But I really like that. It, it inspired me so much to see how he's uh, handled himself in the last year or two. Um, and to deliver like that, it was, it was awesome. I just loved it. I feel the same way. I mean, every, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I think it was on the, the MMA beat earlier this week they were talking about this, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, that that exactly this thing of, like, you know, for people who don't know any better and for people who just sort of got into mixed martial arts or just started following the UFC because of, like, the Conor McGregor era or whatever, you know, those people saw him just dismantle Eddie. I mean, it was it was it was just a, a dismantling. I mean, it was, he just tore him up. I mean, in the middle of the second round, the fight stopped. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and it was, I mean, it was literally one of the most perfect fights I've ever seen in terms of one guy just, just taking another person apart. You know what I mean? And, and, and then the fight's over and you're like, wow, that was easy. You know what I mean? And, and you made history by the way. I mean, it's like, it was a huge fight. It was him, you know, McGregor winning, his second belt at the same time that he was already holding the featherweight belt at that time. So, so it was, you know, there was this history making moment and he made it look, he couldn't have made it look easier, you know? And, uh, and, you know, they were talking on the MMA beat about the idea that, you know, that when, when Aldo, when, uh, when, uh, McGregor took the belt from Aldo, the featherweight belt from Jose Aldo with the, with the notorious, you know, left hand 13 seconds first round knockout, you know, that Aldo never, 
sort of let that go and has, you know, denied everything, made excuses about everything, constantly is like looking for his chance to get back and fight McGregor again, blah, 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 blah. And even though we saw him fight a brilliant fight against Frankie Edgar, we've also seen him lose twice now to to uh, Max Holloway. And in some ways, it does seem like he's been sort of sort of on a, just sort of skidding around in a way and without any real traction since he lost that fight to where, uh, um, where with Eddie Alvarez, he pretty quickly was, you know, talking to the press and, and being interviewed and, and, you know, showing up at the fights and was very willing to say, Hey, you know, he got me, he, you know, he, he got inside my head before, you know, you know, he was, he beat me before the fight started. I let myself down, you know, that was, uh, that was all on me, blah, 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 blah. I took responsibility for it, did everything right. He had kind of a shaky fight against Poirier before it got stopped um, because, of, because of an unintentional knee. That was a really weird fight that happened, but it ended up being a no contest. But then the first real full fight that we see after the loss to kind of the director is this amazing performance against Justin Gaethje. And they were talking about the idea on the MMA beat that, that you know, to some degree, maybe that's part of the difference is that yeah. one guy, you know, was willing to, to, you know, look his defeat in the eyes and take responsibility for it and move on from it and learn. And the other guy was, uh, um, you know, the other guy didn't do that. And he's still, you know, sort of, you know, haunted, you know, and, and, and unable to figure out who he is as a fighter now, you know, so. I think that's a big part of it, and I think that's, you know, certainly, you know, for people, you know, who are maybe involved in the martial arts in, in some way, but maybe they're not competing or whatever, but, you know, the, just the challenges, you know, Joe Rogan talks about this all the time, and he talk, just talks about studying uh, jujitsu, you know, not even competing or doing tournaments or certainly not something at the level of being a UFC fighter or whatever. But he just talks about the idea of you know, just rolling on the mat, you know, on a, on a, you know, Monday morning before work or whatever it is that you're doing in your training, you know, and he's like, you know, uh, you know, basically you're, you're putting yourself into an environment where you, 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 you might be terrible at this. You might not know anything about this. And even if you do know something about it, let's say you're a blue belt and you've got a good intermediate understanding of how to do this. And, you know, you've, you've got some experience under your belt and you got a couple tricks and you got your favorite moves you do and stuff. Well, you know, you're not always going to fight guys who are white belts or blue belts. You're going to fight these guys who are better than you. And they, you know, they're, they're whole other levels better than you. And now you're being just, Everything you're doing is wrong. Every move you make is is just leading to your defeat. <laughs> you know, the next thing you know, you're tapping again. You're tapping again. You're tapping again. And so it's really this whole thing where you're putting yourself in a situation where you're going to fail over and over and over, and that's how you're going to learn. You know, as opposed to the experience that most adults have in their daily lives, where it's like, oh, I'm going to the job that I know how to do because I've been doing it for the last five years. And then I'm going to go to the grocery store where I get what I want because I know what they have and I've got the money to buy. And there's no moments at all through your day-to-day life where there's really any kind of challenge. And certainly there's no hint of failing at anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and so I think that, that, you know, if you want, I, I, there, this was something I came across recently too. It was just basically like, uh, this guy was saying, if you want to, if you want to grow faster, you need to learn more. And if you want to learn more, what you really need to be doing is accelerating your your pace of failure. Like, try to fail twice as much this year. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Because if you if you if you put yourself in a situation where you can 
where you're going to fail twice as much, then you're going to learn twice as much or more. You know what I mean? And yep. it's like just giving yourself over to like, I'm a idiot. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't have any idea what I'm doing. I mean, that's how we're doing this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like even, even, even in the conversation that I had with Jeff in the last episode, you know, he was talking about sort of as accomplished as he is, think about like all, like, you know, I was talking to him about playing, you know, a show with Stevie Wonder and all these various things that are just incredible experiences. And he's, he's telling me, you know, I, I wonder, sometimes I wonder if I'm just going to get found out at some point that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's like, there's, there's this weird sort of thing. I think that you have to, you know, it's people call it staying humble, but it's more than that. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a sort of a, a childlike kind of a, an innocence that you should try to maintain about what you're doing and not be afraid to go fall on your face a lot. Um, and even when you feel like you have made it to some plateau, it doesn't mean that you, um, should get comfortable. So, and then, Oh, right. I know we wanted to talk about, uh, uh, so you've got, uh, tell me about your, your new single and you have a, you know, your new book, you have a lot of things going on. Maybe we can plug that stuff really quick. And I, I think that, uh, I would like to hear more about it, honestly, myself. Like, what's going on? Oh, okay, yeah. This, this is the art part of our Art Fight podcast. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I have a new single out. I, I wrote this song. Um, I mean, it's the, the, little, the only story behind it, really, is that I know a guy who is working with an artist who used to uh, – had a co-writer that she worked with for a long time, and um, uh, now, like, she's making records and just doing her own writing. And um, and this guy who's working with her as a producer and engineer and stuff, and I were talking about it. And he was like, you know, I don't know, but, you know, there's – I think that, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, maybe this person would, would, uh, would be open to and maybe benefit from doing more co-writing with somebody. And um, – and, you know, in the right circumstances, I do that kind of thing. You know, Nashville is a place where all these writers are always constantly co-writing. I never co-write with anybody because for my own my own music that I make, I, it's sort of like I just write my own music and I never really I never really reach out to collaborate with people when it comes to that. But when it comes to, you know, somebody else, like an artist, especially somebody who's like, you know, somebody who does something I can't do, for instance, a, a, a female vocalist, right? Obviously I can't do what any woman does with her voice. So the idea of writing for, you know, for somebody who is doing something different than me, um, that's always interesting to me. And, and it is fun to collaborate. So anyway, so I was thinking about that and I listened to this person's albums and stuff and uh, just sort of got a sense of like what they were doing and thought about like what I do that could potentially fit into that. Uh, mode. So I was just sort of in that mode, a little bit inspired by the possibility of, of, you know, potentially working with another person in the future. And um, I was driving down Gallatin Pike in our East Nashville neighborhood. And um, uh, there's, and I hadn't noticed this before, but there's a road right off of Gallatin Pike called Hunter's Meadow. And for some reason, when I saw that road sign, I just was like, oh, whoa, like that's, 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 uh, like that's a whole crazy, weird, like, fairy tale myth psychedelic sort of thing right and i just pretty quickly wrote this whole song and uh and then um i basically had i sort of hadn't memorized the words but i i hadn't really practiced the music much and uh one of the first times i played out live after i wrote the song i got to the end of my set and i wanted i kind of wanted to play one more song i just like went ahead and just did it 
and I just sang it a cappella. I just sang it, just just quit playing my guitar and just sang that song, and that was the end of my set. And uh, and huh. people responded really well to that, so I've done that you know more than once since then. So it's a song that I've been you know sort of doing, and uh, I've been working on an album project with my friend uh, Jerry Hager, who's like engineered all the records I've made. Um, but Jerry earlier this year ended up having um, uh, some health issues and and was also like uh, you know uh, had some was is like going to grad school again, and so our whole like album project ended up getting delayed. Everybody's fine, by the way. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it just created delays in the schedule for getting this album done. So in the meantime, I'm writing this other music. I'm always writing more than I have time or resources to get this stuff recorded and released. And I guess that's good because it's always nice to have some stuff in the waiting in the wings. But, yeah, yeah. but I always feel like I'm I always feel like I'm putting out music that I already that's already sort of like old to me, you know. But um. Uh, but I was looking to get some stuff recorded just so I would um, have stuff to, to put out there in, in various different ways for different, you know, uh, different reasons. It's just all bullshit songwriter crap, right? So, uh, yeah. so I, uh, I got a hold of my friend Andrew Atkins, who uh, used to live right next door to me. And Andrew is, if people in Nashville probably know Andrew as a singer-songwriter, he just put out a new album too, so check him out, Andrew Atkins. He's all connected with me on social media, so you can find him through my accounts if you need to. A-D-K-I-N-S, Andrew Atkins. Um, uh, uh, and uh, he is a great guy, great singer-songwriter and uh, producer and engineer. And he invited me to come over to his place and just lay down, you know, some guitar vocals of these songs so I at least had, you know, some kind of basic understanding of what these were. In the meantime, you know, once I moved into... When my wife and I got married, I moved into her apartment and basically my whole life went into storage. So, like, all, all the gear, you know, that I have outside of my guitar and my bag of stuff that I take to a show with me um, is all in storage. So I, I have pretty much have no capacity for recording outside of like my telephone. <laughs> you know? so, uh, so, Which is still uh, amazing. So said, come, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so Andrew said, come over to my house and, and we'll record there. So we recorded these songs. And then uh, once we got going on them, Andrew, you know, being the creative, you know, guy that he is, just is sort of inspired. And he starts saying, hey, I can kind of hear this on that one song. And what about on this song? You could do something like this, you know. And I was like, you know, man, I, I appreciate you letting me come over and just cut these guitar vocals, you know. But if you want to do more work on these in any way, then, you know, anything I do with them, you know, I'll be sure to give you credit. You know, like, basically, if you want to turn this into a creative collaboration, then you can be the engineer producer, and I'll just be the singer-songwriter who wrote the material and performed it. And, uh, and you know, if I do anything with it, obviously, you know, I'll, we'll put your name all over it and do that. So he went ahead and sort of dressed up these songs into these, these you know, more fully realized recordings, right? And uh, one of the songs was Hunter's Meadow. So, um, uh, so um, you know, he, he did some really interesting production. There's some horns on it, you know, some cool, like, uh, like organ and piano stuff that he did. And we tweaked it out a little bit. And um, I just put that out, uh, I guess it was a week ago Monday, on uh, my Bandcamp page, which is at mightyjoenolan.bandcamp.com. So you can find it there. And um, it's going to be, there's a couple of blogs that are going to report about it. There's a, there's a blog tomorrow called Velvety, the Velvety Music Blog, that's, gonna, um, that's sharing it tomorrow. And, and I, uh, I think they're going to publish some kind of review about it. 
Um, and there's another blog. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And I've got it out there to a bunch of other writers and stuff. So hopefully there'll be some some you know fun writing and stuff happening. Um, and cool. whatever, I'm just sort of promoting it, you know, and, and yeah. uh, letting people know about it. And it's it's and on Bandcamp, it's set up where you can buy the song for a dollar, but if you want to, you know, support more recordings in the future and all that stuff, you can technically pay me as much as you like. So go to Bandcamp and get the song for a buck, or you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to give me a Christmas present. Pay more. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Uh, well, so one, we, one of the cool things free. I like about Bandcamp too is that you can actually get uh, decent, high-resolution digital files as opposed to just MP3s. So that's worth more yeah, money. Yeah. That should be worth you know uh, more money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's it, yeah. So if people don't know this, you get a better quality digital download, um, and you also get um, you also uh, are doing a thing where when you buy music through my Bandcamp, I get the money. There's no kind of like giving a piece to iTunes or giving a piece to Amazon and, and a lot of those places there's there's you know, there's certain limits within which you can sell your music and, you know, there's sort of I mean it's those are still opportunities that are good and, and I, I usually get all of my music pretty much anywhere I could possibly put it. But but the Bandcamp thing is sort of a way that you can sort of directly support, you know, musical artists that you enjoy and the music goes right to them and yeah. they get to keep it all. And like I said, it's a, it's an opportunity to uh to you know, support beyond just like here's a dollar for a song or here's ten bucks for an album. You know, if if you if you are into uh, my music or the music that somebody else is doing, it's a way that you can go and and you know, you know, put down some money and really show your support for them and 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 really ultimately you know empower them to keep doing what they're doing. It's such a cool. Um, it's, so that's it, it is such a cool thing. I just wish that their name wasn't Bandcamp. <laughs> do you not like the name i don't like the name i think it just sounds like just kind of uh i don't know like if you're going to be sort of punny about things or sort of tongue-in-cheek then fully embrace that but it just doesn't i don't know like it just seems, it feels kind of west andersony to you with it, <laughs> just feel, it just feels hokey um but does but this is no i mean they i've had plenty of stuff on Bandcamp. uh i think that they do a great job I think I love the way they got their structure set up. I love their interface. I love all the things about them except the name. I just wanted to make that point because there's there's just there's <laughs> got to be a better there's got to be a better name. But uh, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they, they do great stuff, and your that. stuff is there. And um, my only question, otherwise, is when people go to mightyjoenolan.bandcamp.com, they're gonna see a picture of a couple of trees. Is that Hunter's Meadow? <laughs> No, that's actually oh, yeah, yeah. false advertising. This is the, bullshit. This the is... trees, the trees are actually the trees are actually um, from uh, my uh, my photo essay series, The Pikes Project, and those trees are actually trees on uh, Dickerson Pike. So, I, f- I feel like I've been uh, so kind of is, taken here. I feel like this is not. Like... <laughs> they're, they're officially East Nashville trees, so I think <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna argue. I'm going to argue that my use of a bit of artistic license, All right, but so, I'm still, so, I, it's still a sincere expression of the place. Well, so, <laughs> so everybody just needs to go and check it out for themselves and see if they feel utterly misled by these trees uh, versus the title yeah, yeah, of the song. Uh, but, but anyway. The, uh, the, book, the book that you mentioned is yeah. called Keeper, and it's a book project that was actually um, – uh, this the whole impetus for this is that uh, – an another East Nashville artist named Jody Hayes, who's a fantastic local painter who I, I don't even know how long I've been knowing Jody, but um, 
she just had a great show at the Red Arrow Gallery in East Nashville, and um, uh, and part of the the big uh, opening night celebration was not only did we have a uh, you know a kick-ass opening for her exhibition, but she also premiered this new book project, uh, which is called Keeper, and it's all these great uh, um, uh, paintings that she did. Um, the whole book is uh, printed, like hand-printed and hand-bound um, by this guy named um, uh, David King, who has a uh, an art book press in Nashville that's called Extended Play Press. And uh, the way that it works is as you're going through the book, suddenly you get to the middle of the book and there's a, a yellow uh, piece of uh, paper that's all like sort of folded into quarters. And as you open that up, it looks like uh, it looks like it's been um, like there's like all these typewritten messages on it. It looks like it was written on a typewriter. Um, and then there's also little notes and stuff that look like they're scrawled in pencil. And uh, actually, all of it is just him doing the printing. Uh, and like this, 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 this stuff that I wrote in pencil, it's amazing the way he was able to do this printing process that looks just like graphite on paper. I mean, it's, it's really, really, it's an, you know, the paper itself is like a little art object. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's like an know, artifact. It's a, number it's, of, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's really something else. I mean, basically, all I gave him was, you know, I spent a few days just sort of writing this sort of like poetic reflections on our, like her paintings sort of reflect the neighborhood and her life in our neighborhood and, and, and ideas about community and all this kind of stuff. And I talked to her for a while about this. I looked at her paintings for a long time. And then I just sort of ran with, ran with these scenes and these ideas and uh, came up with, you know, a number of, of these sort of poetic, you know, uh, you know, some of it's just like lists of things that I came up with. Some of it's, you know, really they read more like poems. Some of it's more like little short, you know, uh, profiles of different places and stuff. Um, uh, but I just sent him this stuff like just as a document that I wrote on Word on my computer. And, uh, and then he turned it into this really compelling, interesting, you know, uh, text object, you know, and, and that's tucked into the book. And you, you pull that out and you open it up and you look at it and put it back and then look at the rest of the paintings. It's really a, it's really an amazing thing and it's it's interactive in that sense. And, and it's I love that. Kind of yeah, that. I love when, how. Yeah, when you get it, it's when conversational. You get it, you're going to open it up. Yeah, you're going to open it up and you're going to stick your nose in it. And you're going to smell the ink and it's like it's a it's an object. You know, it's not just it's not just an ebook that you're downloading or, or even just a, a, you know, a mass market book that you got on Amazon or whatever. This is like a real thing that was literally made by your neighbor and it's, uh, by your neighbors. Cause it's like a, a, this, you know, this, uh, three part collaboration between David and Jody and I, and I'm really, really proud of it. And if you go to extendedplaypress.com, you can see a little video where David like flips through the whole book and you can see how, what I'm talking, everything I'm talking about, you can just like actually look through the book. And, um, uh, and extended you can play press, so. extended play press.com extended play press.com. Yeah. And there's, and, and, uh, he also has other book projects. There's a gallery in Nashville called, uh, seat space and David's doing, um, uh, you know, uh, a whole bunch of different books for a bunch of their exhibitions. So I think he's got at least two or three projects up there right now. And I just mentioned my, my Pikes project photo essay series that I've done. And that's that's also a an Instagram campaign, and that's also you know those photos have been you know taken up into you know exhibitions and all sorts of things that I'm 
looking to push forward in the new year. But one of the things we're doing is, and how I got into this project in the first place was because David pulled me in because him and I are already working on putting together a book project for the Pikes Project. So cool. that'll be probably next year. I, I would think by next year we'll have a rad photo book of the Pikes Project that uh, we'll be doing. And I'm also going to be doing uh, uh, postcards about all that stuff too that I'll have available, you know, probably just every little yeah, but like, but think about it, right? Like, like, like people, people, like this book is thirty bucks, right? Thirty bucks. And yeah. there's, yeah, I mean, and there's an, it's a limited edition of a hundred and something, right? Like a hundred fifty or. 100. I believe so. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about what you spend thirty bucks on. Think about what people spend thirty bucks on. People will spend thirty bucks to get some bullshit thing on Amazon that is just something that they're getting because they have to check off somebody's name on a list and they saw it as a gift recommendation for like a whatever the hell and <laughs> yeah and they just click on it and buy it well you can go to extended play press and buy this using paypal or whatever and it's freaking uh-huh. it's 30 dollars, and it's something made with so much care and so much thought and it's so rarefied and it's it's a, a personalized artifact and a conversation elicited between people yeah. in a manifest form 30 bucks. That's, that is amazing. So I really hope that people really just understand that like, that's, I don't know. That's, that's essentially like a massive gift. Cause I would imagine the the time and energy and printing and everything that's going to this, you're essentially get, it's it's almost like you're giving it away. People should just come and take it. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, it's definitely, I mean, what the point you're making about the idea that, that, you know, that it makes, I mean, obviously this is the time of year when people are buying gifts and I really feel like this is like, if you have friends who are into the arts and, or into poetry, you know, or things like that, real smart folks, maybe people who already collect art and things like that or collect limited edition books or something, um, this is definitely a great, a, a good bargain, and you're going to be, you know, the thoughtful person who who was kind enough and, and got them this amazing gift to go buy it. And it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And it's something where, like, if people go look at it, you go to extendedplaypress.com and you go and look at it, you're going to see something that is, this is not, like, some dark, weird, challenging uh, thing that you couldn't give. Like, you could give this to anyone and they would appreciate it. It's not, like, everybody's concerned with the sense of home and place and and enjoys beautiful things. So that's, at the very least, without necessarily digging deeply into it, that's a kind of what the veneer suggests. So it's not like, you know, you're going to get yeah. 10 pages in and all of a sudden there's like a, a, a mutilation of some farm animal or some weird thing to make a point. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, <laughs> I was going to say though, don't like, please, please don't take my, my thoughts as suggestions. Um, but anyway, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. And, and uh, I can tell you right now that you, by plugging this book, um, have already sold at least one in the time that we've been talking about it. Oh, whoa. Is that true? Yeah, because I just bought it. Oh, oh, Brian. Well, thank you so much. I just bought it. Well, I, was sitting, I'm just, I, I was thought that this would be an incredible uh, gift, and then I know that uh, when I get it, I'll I'll end up just keeping it and then getting some $30 piece of crap from Amazon to give away as the gift so that I can keep this. <laughs> I'll tell you, you got to get take my advice because when you, the first thing you got to do is smell it. Cause that's the, to me, that's the thing I like. Smell so good. So um, that, that's uh, but awesome. Really quick, really quick. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you uh, focusing on these things, but um, 
I, I wanna I wanna also let people know about your recent uh, film festival, uh, Laurel. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. Another thing to sort of reference, like what uh, Jeff and I talked about on the last podcast, is you know he had this uh, great point about his wife sort of challenging him him on do you celebrate enough? Do you um, do you mark occasions of accomplishments well enough and often enough? And that that's an important thing to do. And uh, also, so I, I, I could go on for days, but like I'm pretty poor at doing that. I try to make note of things, but I don't necessarily, you know, I try to communicate it out or whatever, but I don't necessarily sort of personally sort of meditate on this thing as an accomplishment and get the word out. It's just like, get the word out, get the next thing, get the next thing. <laughs> and then also, right. so you combine that with also the notion that awards are bullshit and and uh, and don't really mean anything. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's nice to be recognized, right? So it's this weird yeah. uh, thing. Um, so this film that I made uh, entirely with uh, with a drone for the uh, large scale, two hundred foot tall mural on the silo here that uh, Guido Van Helton did. Uh, I, you know, I filmed it for 17 days, put it all together. It's really sort of a meditation. It's not, um, it's not a Ken Burns documentary, uh, or something that's yeah. meditation is a very good word for it. Like it's really this, like, uh, you sort of show the process of the mural being, being created, but, but it's not even quite that linear. I wouldn't say, I mean, it's yeah. really this just like you sort of beautiful profile of the process without, you know, specifically getting into like day one. Right. You know? Yeah. And the thing too, is that, you know, all I keep doing in that as, as in terms of depicting what I'm depicting visually, it's, you know, this is all being done with a, you know, he's up on this lift 150 feet in the air painting. So, um, one, it really lent itself to, to drone work in that sense, but also, um, if if you are him, I, I, it was more about sort of imagining what his experience is like being up in this little basket of steel on this like sort of rickety lift, a hundred and fifty feet in the air, and then all the people on the ground. You can't, you can hear maybe the vague remnants of conversations and chatter going on below as people are watching, you know. But really, like you're alone and in a completely transcendent state, um, you know, up against this monolithic wall doing this process. I mean, I just think that that was a really neat thing to observe. And so I just kind of wanted to place it into that kind of context. So anyway, I made this thing and, um, uh, you know, submitted it to a bunch of things. And then, you know, like it's been cool because um, uh, although I haven't necessarily gotten a lot of love, uh, I'm trying not to be jaded on Nashville because uh, uh, that's just not a beneficial thing to do. But um, uh, even though I haven't necessarily uh, had any luck you know, with the Nashville film festival or things like that outside of that, um, these, you know, other sort of reasonable, uh, not huge festivals, but, you know, small to medium sized festivals that are of some merit or concern, um, you know, in LA and Berlin and Houston and different places have been recognizing this. And it's just been a cool, um, thing. And it's, it's also just neat to be using something new that, doesn't have a huge visual vocabulary yet other than just what's considered to be aerial shots and to be able to get cinematography awards and things like that for something that I didn't grow up doing and you couldn't have because the tools only existed a couple of years ago to even start considering doing sure. things on this level. 
So just being an early adopter and trying to get in and make something happen and also just being able to use it as an extension of whatever I've done in photography and, and other types of video projects and things. And then, you know, be able to place my music in that context as a soundtrack. It's just really cool. And ultimately it's one of those things where I don't really care, uh, what comes of it, but when something does come of it, it's nice to make note of it. And I need to get better at making a note of it, uh, and recognizing it, uh, more personally and, also just uh marking those occasions when they happen so i mean that's basically what that was and if anybody wants to see it uh easiest way probably is just to go to those drones.com uh and you will find it um there's two cuts and tell me what's the poem. Are there's two different cuts there yeah, there's two cuts of it. One is uh, like sort of the director's cut, you know, sort of the actual what I really intended it and wanted it to be. It's about 15 minutes long. Um, and then there's the, okay, I get it. You're not really going to use it for if it's 15 minutes, but I can make an edit that is um, you know, like an eight-minute version because just for the programming of a lot of these festivals, that's just the only way you're going to make yeah. it happen. Um, but I was able to make an eight minute edit that I actually felt pretty proud of. It really is hard to do. That's a really, uh, I don't know. That's like asking, you know, I don't know. It's like asking Rush to like edit 2112 or something to like a pop song. It's like, okay, like I can do this, but it's, I don't know if it's going to be the same. Uh, but I mean, it was, it was yeah. fine. It was fine. And, and honestly, and that, the people that reached out to me specifically about that, uh, there's an Australian film festival called the blue to blue drone festival. And so it's a film festival. That's a burgeoning film festival that is dedicated to just highlighting drone films and they're in Australia. And so since this artwork is a, uh, um, you know, a Australian artwork in America, um, but you know, they're going to show this film in Australia and and they're going to, I think project it or do some large scale, I don't know. They're going to do some kind of crazy presentation of it uh, for their festivals, what I'm hearing. And so I just thought, you know what, like, that's really, that's really cool. And if you, you know, they were so genuinely uh, interested that I, I was like, okay, I'll make a cut for that. And then, so I did. So anyway, um, so it's, it exists in these, these two forms, uh, but both of them are no good. If you're, if you're really ADD and just want to be entertained, just don't watch either one of them. Um, (laughs) Uh, but anyway, but anyway, it's cool, man. So I guess we should probably wrap it up because, uh, we've got many more of these to do. Uh, but this feels like, I'm glad we got like sort of caught up in a way. Um, and, uh, yeah, me too. yeah. And I'm, and I feel like hopefully if you're listening to this, it's because we were actually successful in, in, uh, in doing this remote, uh, uh, recording of the cast with me, uh, on the other side of the country. And if, and if, and if you are listening to this and it did work, then that means we're open to doing this again with other guests um, uh, that are outside of Nashville. So we appreciate you all listening to this one because this is like a necessary experiment we had to do. And we just figured, well, why not actually make a, make a show about it and see if we can pull it off. Yeah, totally. And so with that said, like now I'd like to do all that, but let's record it this time uh, for the podcast. Um, that was a joke. Golly, dead air. It was that bad of a joke. I didn't hear you. What'd you say? 
I, Has I, that even funnier? I, I was I was joking. I said I said okay. Well, that you know that sounds really good. Uh, now let's do let's do this uh, where we actually record it for the podcast. Now that we've tested. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Now that okay, hold on. I'm gonna need another. I'm gonna need some more uh, carbonated water. <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, but it's been awesome, and I'll I'll even try to like master. Let's see if I can get this uh, um, DJ level fade to happen here, so that we seem like uh, yeah. All right, here we go. Let's see what happens. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time, Brian, and let's let's be in touch about um, about people and you know coming up in the next several weeks. And again, you know, guests uh, are you know are we've got a bunch of people that we have in mind, and a bunch of people we're definitely going to bring on. But if you guys you know know people who you think would be great for us to interview and and again probably in nashville or outside of nashville um you know folks that can, that can call in and talk to us um let let us know you can find me on twitter at mighty joe nolan and that's a great place to just tweet me and uh we can go from there i'm on instagram at mighty joe nolan as well so be in touch with me about potential guests or be in touch with brian Sweet. at those drones is yeah. that the best thing for you yeah, or we also have we also have the uh, art fight podcast um, Twitter oh, yeah. handle, so yeah. you can DM us, yeah, follow yeah. us, whatever. Their art fight podcast, yeah. and, and yeah, go to follow, the uh, follow art. on Twitter though. It's called art fight podcast. Is that what it's called? Yeah, because if you did club, then it wouldn't. Just too many letters. Okay, so art fight podcast on Twitter. Follow us there, and we'll follow you back. That's how it works. Uh, all right, Joe. Uh, Send the best to your your lovely wife, and um, we'll talk to you soon. I will. Okay, brother. Take it easy. You too, man.